Amen. Well, if you would stand with me one last time, we're going to go to the word of the Lord together. And you won't be standing long because we're only going to be going through two verses today. Two verses today as we kick off our new series. In Romans 8, starting at verse 28, we're going to read 28 and 29. If you have your Bible, you can look on the screen or you can pull up on your smartphone if you have it there with you. And the word of the Lord says this to us. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we expound upon the richness of these verses, Lord, God, that you would challenge us, you would change us, you would conform us, God. Lord, as we start this completely new series, Lord, just focusing in on the goodness of God and the hardness of life, I pray that you would challenge us, Lord, and help us to see that you're still working even when we can't see. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through a series just focusing in on the reality of the goodness of God and the reality of the hardness of life, but that how God is orchestrating all sorts of things within sometimes even through suffering. If you've not joined us for Journey yet, uh, we'd love to invite you to join us for Journey uh, starting again this Tuesday where we're going to be walking through uh, even deeper uh, this uh, topic where we're going to be focusing in on finding the gospel in our suffering. And so if you have somebody that you know is struggling just in life or you and yourself, uh, maybe you're struggling now or you maybe not yet kind of got to that struggle season yet. I want to invite you to come on Tuesday as we walk through uh, these truths and we're going to walk through some good core doctrine to help us grow deeper in our faith. You know, conditioning for athletes is tough. In fact, uh, if you have been an athlete or maybe you have a child or someone who is an athlete, you know that in order to get them ready for whatever season, if they're playing basketball, football or track, whatever it is, conditioning is a part of it. If you've never been through conditioning before, I'm going to let you in on what conditioning is like. It's horrible. Conditioning is horrible. In fact, uh, I don't know too many athletes that would tell you they love conditioning unless they're just that rare type of person. But conditioning is horrible. Conditioning is like this. You run, you train, you run, you train until you throw up and then you do it all over again. And it's a real reality that, in fact, the person who is helping you be conditioned, you actually don't like that person. You don't like anything they're telling you to do. You don't like the hardness of the situation. And you're like, this is horrible. But the conditioning that you're going through has a means to it. It has an end to it. And that end is to help you become a better athlete. The end is to help you become an athlete that can actually weather the the actual event that you're going to be participating in. While we hate conditioning, while we don't like that natural part of our working out and all those kind of things, suffering in this life can oftentimes be our conditioning. Now, here's the thing I want to tell you. Suffering in of itself is not a good thing. There's not a person that I know would just say, yes, sign me up to suffer. I'll take two sides of suffering and a hardship 
on the side. No, this is not where we find ourselves. Yet, it is a part of the life that we live. In fact, the Bible is clear on this. When we look at the book of Romans, even right there in the eighth chapter, it tells us this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the actual bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. So even creation in itself, because of sin, it's groaning, it's waiting for that day where it will be restored completely and that there will be no more calamities and earthquakes and all these type of things. If you ever wonder why we have those things, it's because of the brokenness of this world, because of sin. Suffering in this life, can be attributed to a couple of different things. One, of course, the brokenness of, of, of the world and sin within the world. This is why we see suffering. Uh, it also can be attributed to the reality that we can't dismiss that there's a real enemy, that there's a real devil, that there are real demons, that all these things exist, that there is, they do cause suffering as well. We can't rule out the very immorality of man, that men are responsible for their decisions and the decisions that they make. They make and, and immoral men and, and women can cause suffering. But also this, suffering can be caused from our own personal decisions. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy, right? Now, here's the thing. You can make a bad decision based on good information and feel like you're making a good decision and all of a sudden your life is in shambles. You want to know why? We are nothing but finite beings. We don't always get it right. Even the best of us. And so even with our own decision makings, we can allow suffering to come into our lives even when we're trying to do the right thing. But here's the thing. All those suffering while not good in itself can be used by God for his purposes in our lives and for our good and his ultimate glory. God uses all these things. In fact, one pastor said it this way. God takes everything that happens in your life, if you're his, and weaves it together to produce something that is truly good, not superficially good, but really good. So God uses even all these things to weave together a tapestry in our walk that is going to help us look and become more like Jesus. When we know these type of things and all of their emotional aspects that come with it, we can always steady ourselves when we know God is good. And he's working these things together for our good. So here's the first thing we see is that God is for us. God is for us. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead because I want to look at verse 31 because I think that helps us see what 28 is saying to us. And look what it says in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, we can spend weeks just right there in Romans 8. I mean, we can discover all these glorious, rich truths and what it means to be in Christ, the reality of that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ and knowing that the Spirit is actually praying through you and making intercessions for you, knowing that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Yet the Apostle Paul really writes all these things that come to this glorious truth. If God be for us. And I think to truly understand verse 28, we can realize that this one truth remains. It's like, kind of like that linchpin. God is for his people. If we realize that God is for us, 
is to realize that God is good despite the suffering or circumstances we may face. Matthew 7 and 11 says it this way about the goodness of God. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God is good. That is a, a, a truth that cannot be disputed, that God is good, that even he's better to us than we could ever be to ourselves. And anyone in this world can be to us. God is good. And this core truth that God is good, the goodness of God, should drive our theology. Why? Well, if God is good, then that means he will do only that which is good for his children. You see how this should drive us? And should cause us to see God in a different light according to the scriptures. Because many of us struggle with the idea of suffering because we take on the wrong notion that God is somehow evil. But God is good. The Bible says this to us. He says we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures just to help you kind of dwell on what I'm saying. In Psalm 46, 1 through 2, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. You say, well, pastor, don't you know what's going on in the White House? I do. Don't you know what's going on in Wall Street? I do. Don't you know what's going on in our neighborhood? I do. But the scripture tells us here that God is our refuge. So while we are trying to make our political persuasions be our refuge, the scripture says that our Lord God is our refuge. James 1.3 tells us this because you know that the testing of your faith actually produces endurance. So God is using all these things to produce in you something that's greater. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4.16 and 18, just giving you this so that you can dwell on this truth. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Oh, Lord, I'm getting all these wrinkles and I'm getting arthritis and I feel all these achings and all these pains. Oh, here's the thing. You can rejoice because here's the thing. The outer may be wasting, but my inner is not. No, God is good working all these things, even these things that don't look like they should be good. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can say, well, I need some oil of Olay. You better be having some of the Holy Ghost. You better make sure your lamp is full. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. God is doing things that often we cannot see. And if God is for us, and here's the thing, this is just how it reads in the original. If God is for us, who against us? Who is, who can be without regard for time, without regard for the past, without regard for the present, without regard for any of these things? This is a reality, a permanent reality that my God is always 
for me. Now, if the God of the universe who knows me by name is for me, then what should I fear? So we jump back to verse 28 and we see the reality of what he's saying there. We know that all things work together for the good. How can they work together for the good? Because God is good. God is good. So God is working. God is working. We see this. If God is good, which he is, then we must know that in this life, the practical right now, God is not only in control, but in his sovereignty, he's working things together for the good. So God is in control of all things. Now, this is not saying wishful thinking. All right. This is not just saying some new age mantra like the, the, the idea of the law of attraction. We see that with some famous folks. If, if you just kind of uh, think these positive thoughts, positive thoughts will come back to you. No, you better get away from that witchcraft. No, we're not talking about new ageism here. We're talking about the reality of the sovereign God of the universe working out in every circumstances. God directing the affairs of life in such a way that for those who love him, the outcome is always beneficial. This tells us that God is very much active, working even through the moral failures of men. That his purposes will not only prevail, but also be for our benefit his glory and our good. Now, the question may arise. The question may arise. You may be thinking this question. Well, what is the answer to the evil in our world? If God is good, why is there so much evil? Why don't God do something about this? Well, here's the thing. I love what one commentator said. He said this. The cross is God's answer to the question. Why don't you do something about evil? God did do something. And what he did was so powerful that it ripped in half from top down the fabric of the universe itself. God does not merely empathize with our sufferings. He inserted himself into history through Jesus. And what Jesus suffered, God suffered. God ordained and allowed Jesus temporary suffering so he could pre prevent our eternal suffering. The God of the universe endured wrong, endured suffering, endured shame so that he can right every wrong. We even see with the three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see them being allowed to even be thrown into the furnace. I know there's some who would maybe teach you that as a Christian, you always have victory and God will not allow you to even taste the furnace. But can I tell you something? God loves you enough to allow the furnace in your life at times so that you can even taste the flames themselves. And they were there right there in that furnace. And what does it say? It said, man, they heated it up and they were there. And when he looked in, it says, man, it looked as if there was a fourth person in there. This is our lives. That God in himself is still with us while we're in the furnace, while we're walking through suffering. We see Joseph being thrown into the pit and thrown into jail, being accused. But yet it was God who was working. It was the Lord that led Joseph to say, what you meant evil, God meant for my good. I mean, only God could cause you to see life that way. 
working these things together. So we see that the Lord is working on our behalf for his glory. Do you understand, my brothers and sisters, that whatever situation you find yourself in, God has promised that he is working actively. That means we have a God who not only sits up high and looks low, but we have a God who is actually involved in the very daily activity of our lives. I know they have some people that tell you, well, you know, the God you serve is, is, is not alive because all he's thinking about is the by and by. No, the God I serve meets me daily. Not only daily, he meets me every minute by moment by minute because I know when I call on his name, he responds. I don't know what God you're worshiping, but if you're worshiping the God that is of the God of Baal, you know, the one that you can cut yourself and do all these things, that God ain't coming. You want to know why? He doesn't exist. But if you're worshiping Yahweh, the God who's above all gods, the one who exists on his own, by himself, who is eternal, who is immortal, who is invincible, then we can talk about a God who is orchestrating all things. So let me tell you something this morning. God is working. God is working in your life. God is working in my life. God is working in this church for his glory. We may not understand what God is always doing. We may not even know what he's doing, but I know that he indeed is working. You know, the way I picture it is like this. You're driving along in your nice car. And you just bought yourself some new tires. You just got yourself a nice little oil change. And you're doing everything you know to be is right. And then all of a sudden, you just turn the corner. And out of nowhere, someone runs that red light and just smashes into your car. And then you run over four nails. And all of a sudden, your carburetor radiator is busted up. And you're like, Lord, what are you doing? Isn't that how life feels sometimes? And everything was going good. Everything was going well. And here's the thing. This is what we get caught up with, most of us Christians. I was doing everything right. Who says doing everything right is going to keep you from suffering? I mean, here's the thing. You can do everything right in your marriage and it still fall apart. I know this is hard, man. But you know what? Here's the thing. This is the reality of life. You can do everything with your children. They still walk away. Do everything on your job, give all your time, give all your energy, and all of a sudden they turn around and lay you off. And what do you say in those moments? When the reality of life hits you, not just like a ton of bricks, but as if the whole world is falling on you. In those moments, you have to be able to say, my God is still working. I'm not rejoicing that I've lost it. I'm not rejoicing in this or that. But I am rejoicing that my God is doing something. And it's something that I can't see. And here's the thing. I want to let you in on something. He may not always tell you what he's doing. And you know what? It is his prerogative not to. You want to know why? He is God. You say, well, I prayed and I, I want to know what God is doing. You may not understand what God tell you. There's many of us in this room who are struggling with immense fear of the future. We hear everything that's on the news. You know, here's the thing. For some of you, I, I'm going to give you a little pastoral counseling in a pastoral loving way. Some of us just need to get off of social media. Like, you, go, won't you just go ahead and just deactivate your account for about seven days? Take it off your phone. In fact, you take it off your phone, you won't touch your phone as much. 
You're so anxiety ridden because every other article says the world is ending. The sky is falling. Life is falling apart. And so you should be, too. But yet the scripture I read says my life shouldn't be falling apart if the world is. Because my God is working for his glory and my good. And so we see here the next thing that God is not only working, but God has called. Now we're getting down to the nitty gritty of this. Because it's not that just God is just working, just kind of out there working for the good, but he's only working for the good of those. Of those who love God, who are called, who are called according to his purpose. If God is good, which he is, Transcendent, which he is, all-knowing, which he is, all-powerful, the God of the universe, who benefits from this? Well, the Bible says it right there in that verse, those who love God. Now, you may say, man, that, that's amazing, that those who love God, those who love God. And, and you can say, man, this is just one blanket statement, those who love God, because that's everybody, right? I mean, who doesn't love God? Well, let me tell you what the scripture says to us. Romans 3, 11 and 12 says this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Now, if you want to know what that is in the Greek, all. It's all. There's no other way to sell it to you. It's just all. James 1.19 says this, though. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So is God working all things together for the demons? Is God working all things together for those who just are in the world? No, the scripture gives us clarity on this idea. Those who love God. What is this? First John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 says, says this. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So the only way to truly love God the Father is to have received the love of God through Jesus Christ, his son. So here's the thing. We can't just make a blanket statement and say, you know, well, here's the thing. You know, and that's the thing that trips me out about some of these churches. Like you get in and all of a sudden the pastor's on the stage and they hype everybody up. He's going to give a blanket prophecy. See, God's just working it out for everybody. Hold on. How do you know everybody in there saved? All right. That's right. If they're not saved, it ain't working out for them. They can give their heart and life to Jesus. Here's what it's saying to us. It is calling those who are called, those who love God, those who are in Christ. We see two things at work here. Our love for God and the call of God. We see those two things working we see first, though, that it's God the Father specifically who extends his love to us and reaches out to us. In Romans 5, 8, it says it this way, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you say, well, pastor, I thought I reached out to God first. We just read in the scripture, no one seeks God, no, not anyone. Everyone is going astray. So here's the thing. God reached out to us. God sent his son. God reached out to us. And that should give us an immense sense of humility 
to say, God would show us grace and mercy to reach out to us. We simply respond in faith to this great love, his great mercy and grace. This call is an act of God where God the Father calls those who are in darkness into the glorious light. That's what it says there. Those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Those who have come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In John 6, it says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So those who are called out of darkness into light, call into his kingdom. Literally. I believe the scripture teaches this. Unless the Lord would intervene, we would not come. You know what it says? Like, you know, the father, you know, I call, calls him to me, I draws him to me. This idea of literally like this, this pulling, this dragging. Why? Because our natural sinful selves love our natural bent to sin. So much so, this is why the Bible says that no one seeks God on their own. It's the Lord who comes after us first. Extended mercy to us first. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know them? Yet the Lord does and he still has came for us. I love this in John 3, 18. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You wonder why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save, to seek and save the lost, to seek and save those who are called to him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed on the name of the one and only son of God. Those who love God, who are called, those who are called from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is not to say we don't have a part, but we must respond to the call. Respond to this call to come out of the darkness of the kingdom of darkness and coming by faith and repentance by placing our complete trust in our Savior. However, it is God who does the work in our hearts. I believe Ephesians tells us that even God gives us the faith to believe. The faith to believe. That call. And it says, God, those who are called. It's the idea that Jesus called Lazarus and said, Lazarus. And what did Lazarus do? Got up. He calls us unto himself. Calls us unto himself and gives us new life. Those whom God has called we respond to the preaching of the gospel message through the mouth of other human vessels. This is why we proclaim the gospel. This is why we go and proclaim it to all men everywhere. And as God is working on the hearts of men and women, as God the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts, they will respond to the gospel. Sadly, many, though, hear the gospel message. They hear this general call that calls out to all men and women, all places to come. And they hear the words, come and be forgiven, and yet they reject it. This is why prayer is so important. As we're praying for people to come to know Christ and praying for their eyes to be open. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us this way, but the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit. Because it is foolishness to them. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So unless God works in the hearts of men and women, they won't respond. 
It's the Lord who breathes life into dry bones and dead bones. This idea of this effective call has such power that it brings about a response in the hearts of people. This effective calling is the act of God the Father speaking through human proclamation of the gospel, and it summons people unto himself. And they're saved through their faith and trust in Christ. What does this look like? Well, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for the Savior. Our hearts are awakened. We're interested now in spiritual things and desire things that weren't there before. I remember when this happened in my life. I remember for years I hated church. I hated God. And I know most people won't admit that. But I remember sitting in church and hating the pastor. Mama dragged me to church. I don't want to be up here. I'm mad. I got an attitude because I wasn't saved. I hated everything about it. You couldn't pull me in church when I was 17 and 18 if you paid me. I just remember, though, hearing the gospel and the spirit of God giving me new life and opening my eyes and being born again. And can I tell you something? It was one time in my life I hated the church, hated the teachings of the church, hated the pastor. And all of a sudden, that's all I desired. This is God transforming us, those whom he has called unto himself. And we come to him. This put together is a beautiful truth. God is for us, not against us. God is working in all things for our good and his ultimate glory. For those who are his, those who have come from darkness to light, those who have been called. And look what he says. Putting it all together. Those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. In verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I love this, that before the foundation of the world, not based on our works, not based on our merit, he called us his own for his express purpose, for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. What are we saying here? It's saying that the God who is good is gonna finish what he began and guess what he's doing? He's causing you to look more like Jesus while you go through what you're going through. If God has chosen you, called you, if God has said you're mine before the foundation of the world, apart from any of your merit, your distinctives or anything, and has appointed you for a destiny of glorious Christ likeness to bring about what the purposes that he has called you to, we can know that he's working all things together for my good. How am I saying this? Why are we saying this? In a nutshell, if you are in Christ and he is your savior and you're walking through whatever you're walking through, God has promised that the end goal is this. You're going to look more like his son. I don't know about you, but God has never failed ever. And he will never fail. So here's what it says to my life and your life. It doesn't matter what I find myself in. It doesn't matter what situation I walk in. God is going to bring me through faithfully. Until I look like his son, Jesus. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he won't ever let your hand go. You can't get plucked out of his hand. In fact, if you're called to be his, you won't want to jump out of his hand anyway. 
You may kind of drift here. You may kind of drift there. But here's the thing. Because you're in him, you're going to keep coming back. You're going to keep staying in him. Why? Because he is working all things together for the good. Because I love him. Because he has called me unto himself. And he is causing me to look more like his son. I am his. And I have been his from before the foundation of the world. It is a glorious truth that those whom God chooses, he sets for an end to become like his son. And I love this. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Do you all understand what I'm saying here? We serve an invincible God. We are but finite. God is invincible and there's nothing that can stop him. There's no person, there's no law, there's nothing that can stop God in your life. Because he is good. And he set his love on us before the foundation of the world. So how do we close this? Here's the thing I want you to dwell on in your own life, where you find yourself, where you see yourself walking. The first truth, remember this, that God is good. I mean, I know it seems like Life is falling apart, but you have to know that God is good. And this is not just some cliche. But here's the thing. You know when you really can't say God is good? Well, you've not experienced the love of Christ. You know God is good because you know what you deserved. The wrath of God. But yet God in his rich mercy poured out his wrath on Jesus on your behalf and my behalf. So, yes, God is good. Even when life is not. God is good. Here's the next thing. God is working. You say, well, pastor, I want God to hurry up. You can't tell him to hurry up. Well, you don't understand. I need God to to work on my timetable. So I'm going to try some of this like, you know, speaking to existence stuff. And you keep trying and it doesn't work. I know it doesn't work because it's not real. And now you're frustrated. You're frustrated. How about this? You just sit back, relax, and allow God to do what he does, which is be God. You can't be God. In fact, I want to help you out a little bit. You're not God. I'm going to help you out a little bit more. You're not even little versions of God. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, you want to rest in the full authority of the God. When you rest there, you say, God, you have complete, sovereign, omnipotent control. And whatever you want to do, you do it. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, even if I don't like it. Because here's the thing. You begin to change the desires of my heart to like what you like anyway. God is also conforming. You say, Pastor, my marriage is just going so hard and, and my job is just so horrible. I don't even like my church anymore. Could it be, could it be, could it be that God has allowed you to taste a little taste of this suffering to make you look more like Jesus? You say, well, I don't like it. I know I don't like it either. But God, whom he loves, he chastens. He has us on the vine and he prunes us. So that we may be more fruitful. I don't like pruning. Because pruning means snipping. 
And cutting means that God's going to be working on some areas of my attitude and my character that I don't want him to touch. I like my comforts. I like certain sins that no one knows about. And God says, if you're mine, I don't want them in you. So let me work on you. It's a surrender. And what is this saying? If God is conforming me, that means God, God still loves me and I'm in him. So that means I'm walking with him through life. And here's the last thing. God is unstoppable. I mean, have you really dwelt on this, that God is unstoppable, that nothing can stop him? I mean, no, no, no government can stop the gospel. No ruler can stop God. Nobody can stop God. Global warming can't stop him. The news can't stop him. None of these things. Your family can't stop God from doing things in your life. Your boss can't stop God from doing things in your life. You just need to say, God, you just be unstoppable in my life. Because you have called me and predestined me. I am in you. And so I rest in that truth. My God is unstoppable. I think for us in America, I'm going to close in prayer is this. I think we have forgotten the God that we serve. We've given him over to be a Republican God, a Democrat God. He has allegiances to no one. But himself. Are you worshiping the God of Scripture that is unstoppable? immovable, who has tilted the earth on its axis and knows every star by name? Or is your God moved by what happens in politics? No, I want to serve a God that is not only omnipotent, but a God who knows every minute detail of my life, even the hairs that are on my head, and knows what's happening and is working these things together for the good. If you don't know that God this morning, maybe you have to take that first step of placing your faith and trust in his son. Because the only way to know the father is to have your sins forgiven. And the only way to have your sins forgiven is to come to the cross. and Find grace and mercy there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As we close. Maybe first you are a person who has not place your faith and trust in the Savior. And maybe this morning God is calling you to himself. He's calling you to come and he's saying, come. Have your sins forgiven. Don't reject it. Humble yourself. Come to the Savior who is more than enough. You heard it throughout this whole message that the only way to have full assurance that God is working all these things is to be in Him, to find yourself in Christ. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there's nothing super special you need to do. You don't have to jump around, you don't have to do backflips, but you do have to repent of your sin. And place your faith and trust in him as your savior alone. Simply a cry out to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And now I want to follow you. I want to publicly confess that you are Lord through baptism. We love to help you with that. If you need to make that decision today, we love to pray with you.
But maybe you're a believer and you're just struggling this morning and you feel like you're on the end of your rope. I want to tell you, God is good. He is merciful. And he is working even though you can't see it. And can I tell you something? It's okay to struggle with this. You may say, Pastor, I, I'm having a hard time even receiving and believing that this is true because I feel as if I'm cursed or anything like that. Can I tell you something? You're not cursed if you're in Christ because he took the curse on the cross. Don't listen to the lies of the evil one. But it's okay to lament. It's okay to, to struggle. It's okay to feel down. Just cast your burdens on the Lord. He knows. Because he knows what suffering is. If you need prayer for any of those things, we'd love to pray for you. Let me pray for you. And God is going to come and give you some next steps. But if you need to respond in any of those ways, we'd love to pray for you right here, right now. We'd love to pray for you at one of the red tables on the back. Whatever you need to do, don't leave this place carrying the same burdens. Father, I pray that those who need to respond, Lord, that they would respond and they would lay their burdens at the feet of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we continue on and walk through this series, God, on Sundays as well as going deeper on Tuesdays, you would challenge us and help us. Those who are struggling, God, in their marriages and their finances and their homes, Father, that they would find rest to know God is working. In Jesus' name.